Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes, who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs, choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, and this week my co-host Brian and I will be reviewing the 2018 American horror film Hereditary. Uh, this is a movie that's directed by Ari Aster, and it stars Tony Collette, Alex Wolfe, Millie Shapiro, Ann Dowd, and Gabrielle Byrne. Is that how you say it, Brian? Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. Oh, Gabriel Byrne. Thanks. That sounds right. So yeah, I've got a pretty big uh, cast there, and, and we'll dive into that, which I think is pretty surprising to see in a horror film. Uh, but we picked this movie because it just came out here uh, pretty recently, a few weeks ago. And it's kind of been a big deal. I think it's divided audiences and critics. Um, it's been getting a lot of reviews. Uh, and it's been earning a good amount of money at the box office. So I thought it would be another good excuse for us to get out to the theater. Brian, this is the second horror film we've seen in theaters in like the last six months. <laughs> Even in like the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah that's true. Actually, it's been like, yeah, in, in one season we've gone out uh, twice already. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah, I feel like in an average year, I only go out to see a scary movie like once or twice at the most. So two times in like one season is kind of a, a big deal. Yeah, same. I watch a lot of scary movies in a year, but don't see many in the theater. Yeah, yeah. Usually scary films, I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's it's your go-to when you're at home or easy to kind of load up on Netflix or something and watch at home. It's rare that you're you're out and about, like, seeking out a, a scary movie in the theaters. And you just don't have, like, that good of quality of ones generally coming out in theaters. Yeah, I feel like within the last few years, we've had quite a few that have had a big buzz around them. Yeah, yeah, starting with, like, Get Out last year. Right. And then, um, and then the, the other one we watched this year, uh, A Quiet Place. It's it's interesting because I feel like both of these have been like really well suited for the theater and and uh, the the suspense that you can get by being in a theater in a room full of people in a dark area like that. The witch was another one we saw in the theater. I feel like there was some buzz around that one too. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I've... both this and the witch, Hereditary and the witch were buzzed about because they were truly truly scary. Yeah. Yeah, they really were. Uh, and I wonder, like, w- with, like, The Witch and Hereditary, do you feel like these two would have been as scary or as impactful uh, had you not seen it in the theater? I was just wondering that today. I think the theater played a big role in that scariness and the tension. Mm-hmm. I think it's they still would have been very scary at home, but yeah. I'm glad I saw them in the theater. Yeah, me too. I mean, a part of me, and, and we'll talk more about the plot later, but a part of me feels like I would have gotten up like halfway through this one and like walked out uh, and maybe never come back. If you had it at home, you mean? It, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. If I watched it at home. <laughs> Walk, walked out of your own house and never come back. <laughs> and no one would ever see me again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, mostly out of boredom, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about more a little bit more about the plot uh, later on. Uh, overall synopsis, though, of this movie, uh, general uh, story is um, this is a movie about a family who uh, you know, faces a, a death in the uh, in, in the family, and the next two hours are about them kind of grieving through it and, and their process in a series of events that happens that takes a lot of twists and turns uh, as the movie progresses. So, uh, really interesting here, Brian, that uh, I think the director here, uh, again, is like a first-time director, Ari Aster. Did you look into this guy at all? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. This is his first feature-length film. 
Yeah. He's done short films before this, but no feature-length movie. Yeah, and some of his uh, short films, like the one I read about, just looked really disturbing. Like, it almost made this one seem like a normal movie. I don't know if you read the plot of his other film at all. I read the plot of one. I think it was something about Munchausen syndrome. Oh, no. <laughs> I, think I'm gonna, I think I'm thinking about a different one. Um, different one? But yeah, the one I was reading about did sound disturbing and sounded like you could have seen this movie coming after that short. Not that you could have seen it coming, but it was similar. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like it, that's kind of his calling card is to create these like very intense, like character-driven heavy films uh is, is that kind of what you got from the plot that you read i did yeah yeah so but but i, I think it's really cool because one thing we've talked about with the other of the big uh or most effective or successful horror movies of the past uh like the witch uh it comes at night um there are a few i think it follows and get out and a quiet place these guys are all first-time directors and they're just knocking it out of the park i, I feel like yeah it's pretty incredible yeah yeah, I wish. even for a first movie in general, not just first horror movie. Yeah, these are good movies. Period. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I I feel like that's kind of categorizing the the horror genre we're in now right now, the horror moments we're in right now in, in the late two thousands. As you're getting these successful movies, and in the late two thousand tens, you're getting these successful horror movies created by these first time directors and they're just bringing a very fresh perspective and maybe that's what made the 90s horror films so bad is it was all like the same directors or same producers or same houses doing stuff i don't, I don't know too much what do we, is, is that is that how the 90s went down that could be true just a lot of i feel like it was a lot of sequels and stuff too yeah there weren't very many original ideas and they weren't taken very seriously yeah yeah exactly yeah, originality was far in between and uh, few and far in between in the 90s. Um, so yeah, a new director here um, and obviously a background in creating disturbing short films. Uh, the studio that did this, A24, I'm starting to recognize their name a lot. Um, you know, they, they did The Witch, they did It Comes at Night. Uh, they also did like some great movies like Lady Bird and The Disaster Artist and Ex Machina. And, uh, and green room but I, I feel like they're becoming a powerhouse uh, within this era of like slow and heavy uh, horror films for sure all those the witch it comes at night the black coat's daughter was another one those were oh, all very right. emotional dark films yeah yeah it's weighty yeah. right so yeah t- talking about like uh the the genre here uh, it's a, it's definitely these are like very emotional and dark and heavy films what other genre would you put this one in it's like a family drama, a lot of these, and Hereditary for sure is a family drama. Yeah, it definitely. And psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, it's definitely. It's also got elements of the occult and supernatural. Yeah, occult, supernatural. Uh, maybe some possession, I guess, towards towards the end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of spawns all over and, uh, but I, I think it's interesting cause I feel like you can divide this movie up, uh, pretty distinctly in, in parts and a, a lot of like the first part is like that family drama, uh, stuff and, and grief. And then towards the end you get into those more supernatural and, uh, possession and cult elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it makes the drama at the beginning makes the supernatural elements all that more impactful and scary. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good strategy, and that's one thing I think we've talked about with the other horror films in terms of what makes it successful, 
is you know really being really bought into the characters and believing them and being vested in their story and this one seemed to follow that formula of like you know building it up for like an hour and a half of just spending a lot of time with these characters going through a very dark uh, events in their life so that like when the scares start pulling out uh you're like right there in there with them and you, and you really care about it so the other movies like i think in this category so I, I, was, I was looking up like other movies that focus on uh what i thought was like the big thing here was grief and like family drama one of the movies that i think you and i watched recently was don't look now and looking back i can see a lot of similarities uh between where like you know that movie starts off with the death and then it's just about like kind of the, the the aftermath and how people kind of grieve through that. I think like the witch and it comes at night are pretty similar to that. For sure. Did you see that this director named Don't Look Now as an influence? Oh no, he did. I, I saw he named like Rosemary's Baby, which I, I wasn't sure if I got that one. But yeah, I, so so he's definitely he's open about Don't Look Now being a big reference. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I feel a lot of people are comparing this to Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. Huh. And I agree, not always in plotline. I yeah. think the Rosemary's Baby plotline is pretty similar, but um, it's yep. got that feeling of like depth and weightiness and being actually scary. It's one of those that sticks with people after they've seen it. Yeah. And and I feel like uh, uh, The Witch, Babadook, uh, It Comes at Night, these movies also kind of just started out with a death, which kind of like sprung the rest of the movie forward and was more about the aftermath of what was going on there. So that that's almost yeah, becoming a lot of like, horror movies start out with a death. Yeah, and then the characters kind of grappling with that as as they go. But yeah, but I also feel like a lot of horror movies that do start out with death, like it, it's um, and we talked about this with like Nosferatu, I think, where um, movies, you know, a lot of times scary movies will have like a hook in the beginning, and like that death is like supposed to be something that's like really scary to bring someone in and like get the movie started but in these kind of films the death is almost just kind of like very understated and and just for like context purposes versus a death that's like supposed to scare you right 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 like scream starts with a death but that's more of a hook just to get you on edge and interested yeah whereas don't look now starts with a death and it's meant to frame the state of mind of the family going forward in the movie yeah right Interesting how, yeah, they, they use these deaths in the beginning in different ways and, and the effect it has throughout the movie kind of gives you a sense of where it's going. Oh, man, that brings back some tears thinking about Drew Barrymore and how she was wiped out from that movie so early. In a, <laughs> <it's great. laughs> that I, was a great start of a movie. Yeah, I was just so bummed that they, they got rid of her so quick. I mean, that was like the best of Drew Barrymore like those days and they you only had her in there for like 10 minutes. I don't know. That was a highlight of Drew Barrymore's career, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that became pretty iconic. That was the, 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 for sure. That, that worked out really well for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we dive into like the, the, the cast here, uh, did you see a lot of hype about this movie, or did you know about it for a few months, or where, where was this on your radar? I did. My hype radar is always a little bit lower than yours, just because I'm not paying attention, but <laughs> my brother-in-law had given me a heads up about this movie and a few other people I know had said like, Hey, have you heard of this thing? Oh yeah. So uh, it was a little hyped up to me and I knew going into it that it was supposed to be pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. And you, uh, I know you typically you don't like to watch trailers for it. Had you seen any trailers for this one? I had not. And I am glad for it. <laughs> There's at least one spoiler in the trailer. Oh, there is. Okay. I'll have to go back and, yeah. and watch it. 
How about you, man? You've been you were pretty hyped up going into this thing. You know, I, I saw a preview for it when we went to see um, a quiet place, and it just looked like really heavy, slow, and um, it, nothing in the trailer like really grabbed me. But the people I was I was with, they were they were like really excited. They were like, "Wow, you know, we, we got to check that out." And and so I, I didn't really have this high up on my radar. And truthfully, I probably wouldn't have gone out to see it. But um, our you know Joseph, our friend Joseph, was in town. And everyone was starting to talk about it, and so we just kind of made a plan to go see it. But otherwise, I feel like I might have just let this one slip by. Yeah. But glad, glad I'm we glad didn't. we didn't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> have you seen a film, a horror film, with like a, a more talented cast? Like, I feel like they got some pretty big names on this one. Yeah, it's unusual to see a horror movie with this many big names and really talented actors. Mm-hmm. Like, Tony Collette is great. And yeah. Gabriel Byrne is great and hasn't been in many movies lately, it seems, or at least I haven't seen him in much. I know, I know. He felt like a very familiar face, and I had to, like, look him up and then, you know, the usual suspects and all that stuff. So he hasn't been around for a while, I I feel like. Yeah, for sure. I just recently watched Miller's Crossing, which is a Coen Brothers movie, and he was in that. Uh, Which one is that? Miller's Crossing? It's from 1998. Wow. I, I don't think it's as popular as a lot of their other ones. Yeah, I didn't even know that Coen Brothers were making uh, movies that far back. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to, uh, Tony Collette, uh, I I didn't realize this, but she's actually done a few horror films like The Sixth Sense and Fright Night and Krampus. Did you ever see Krampus? I didn't, know. Oh, okay, yeah. I, uh, she's, she's, I think, one of the lead actresses in that. So she's kind of carving out a, a name for herself there. And she's, she's a great actress pretty pretty talented yeah widely critically the critics all had that to say if they had anything good to say about this movie was how great her performance was yeah 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 i feel like uh she carries this movie for the most part i think she's kind of the main character that drives the story forward and uh plays a central role here so yeah she, she did a great job um for sure the the kids also like uh this the the daughter millie shapiro like i thought her acting was amazing and and the the, the way they uh, did the makeup on her and everything, that she was, like, pretty frightening. Yeah, agreed. She did great. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, we've, seen, we've seen a number of horror movies and they have kids in them that are, like, supposed to be at the center of it or supposed to be scary, but the, she, like, kind of comes up as, like, one of the scariest child actors that, that or, like, in the most effective uh, scary child that I've seen in, in a horror film. I don't know if... Uh, can you think of any better examples? Hmm. Not really. She's She was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times kids are the source of... Not the source of the scares. They're the victims. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And I feel like in this one, she kind of did a little bit of both, which I think made it even more scary because she was, like, so vulnerable uh, with, with, with uh, you know, she was, she was a young actress... And, uh, and the, she kind of plays like a dual role almost. Uh, and yeah, part of you's like scared with her and then part of you's like scared of her, which I, I thought was really effective. Yeah, very true. And, and then her older brother is played by Alex Wolf, um, who I hadn't seen before, but apparently he's in the new Jumanji, which is supposed to be really good. Yeah, that's what I saw too. He was also in My Friend Dahmer, which I think is sort of a horror movie. Oh. But I've never seen that either. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, yeah. but have you seen the new Jumanji yet? No, have you? Uh, no, but I think that's one we need to see 
potentially review for this <laughs> podcast. I mean, yeah, a lot of people sure. are, uh, yeah, raving about it. It's supposed to be like game changing or something. Uh, yeah. So, okay, re- really talented cast. A- anyone else from the cast uh, worth mentioning? Or I mean, I mean, those are the main characters. But anyone else you'd mention? Yeah, the I mean, the only other main character really is uh, her friend Joan, mm-hmm. and that's Anne Dowd, who is in Garden State and is currently in Handmaid's Tale. Oh, okay. Been meaning to watch Handmaid's Tale. I've heard good things about that. Yeah, it's what I just went and asked my wife to turn down before we started <laughs> recording. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Well, you know, I, I saw Anne Dowd's name. I assumed she was the mother, and I was surprised that like she had a starring role since the mother's like barely in the movie. Uh, but that makes a lot more sense that she was the friend, uh, Joanne. Yeah. Okay. Um, other cool, I, I think, trivia here is is the music is done by someone who's been around like the indie music scene. I thought the music was like amazing uh, in in this film. Uh, really like great textures and pretty strong. Uh, you know, like added a lot of character to the the, the overall dynamic of the movie. And this guy, I, I guess, uh, Colin Stetson. He's uh, worked with Arcade Fire, Bonnie Iver, uh, Bell Orchestra. Um, so it sounds like he's, he's pretty big on the indie music scene, which I know we both kind of listen to. Yeah, for sure. I actually have one of this dude's albums. Oh, really? He, he's got a few single, yeah. Uh, single albums? Yeah, and so throughout the movie, I was like, man, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. And oh. then at the climax of the film, it dawned on me, like, I think, I think that's who it is because yeah. there were a lot of it just got a little bit more closer to his style at the end and yeah it clicked with me and then i saw his name on the credits oh wow so you could you could yeah you felt like it was pretty familiar are you talking about the climax like the the big strings and like the the like the really bright uh music that the film ends with yeah oh, and wow. you know i kind of was tripping over my own words there because i was going to say strings but i think it's all him on the saxophone Oh yeah, he's a saxophonist. Wow, those are. He's all... a really dynamic player, and he can make noises on the saxophone that you would not think. Oh my! Are a saxophone. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. I, d- yeah. I definitely thought it was like a full like orchestra with strings and everything. You know, that's that's crazy. Um, and, and Pitchfork actually like reviewed uh, the uh, the soundtrack to this. I think it gave it a seven something, which is pretty good out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. For Pitchfork, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would encourage anybody to check out any of his stuff. It's pretty unique. The album I had was called, well, still have, New History Warfare Volume 2, mm-hmm. colon, Judges. Oh, cool. All right, I'll definitely check that out. Any uh, any other tr- interesting trivia about this? I mean, I think it was, like, shot and directed in Utah, and they had to, like, build the set themselves. Um, any, anything else you found interesting about it? And they had to build a lot of miniatures for it because in the story, the mom tony collette's character annie designs miniatures like doll houses and miniature sculptures and art pieces so she's like trying to work on stuff for this gallery yeah um and i just wanted to let you know ashwin that the continued longest continuous miniature show in the united states is held in cleveland ohio (laughs) Wait, that that can't be true. Is that because here in Chicago at the Art Institute they've got like a miniature uh, thing going on? How long's this one in Cleveland been going on for? Nineteen seventy one, man. How long's the one in Chicago been going on for? Shoot, probably not that long. The building doesn't look that old. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I'm amazed that you even know that about Chicago. Well, you know, my wife drags me to the Art Institute all the time, and I feel like they they've got this room full of miniatures that that it's, it's kind of cool to look at. 
But uh, that's yeah. that's a really good uh, Northeast Ohio connection there. Way to go. <laughs> the miniature <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, huh. the Cleveland Miniaturia. Miniaturia. I don't know. I didn't even know that was a word. Uh-huh. The Cleveland Miniature Society. Uh, <laughs> Cleveland Miniaturia Society is the second oldest wow. miniature club in the world. Well, uh, do you know what the first is? I don't. Oh, man. I would imagine it's something in Germany. I saw it was huge in Germany. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, but maybe it's Chicago, man. I'll throw you that bone. Oh, uh, man. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to look. I'm really interested now. It's a, that, That's a pretty cool hobby. I mean, it takes a lot of skill, and it was cool how that was wrapped into this movie. But uh, you're basically like building like uh, whole scenes like at, at a miniature level. It's crazy. Yeah, man. It's incredible. And I thought it did a good job framing. It just added some creepiness to the movie and foreshadowing. Yeah, it was like it was like a really unique kind of hobby for someone to have, but the, yeah, it really complemented the movie well and added like an interesting perspective to everything that was going on. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and and we learned something about uh, miniature housing and how far back it goes. Well, I, I'm gonna take a quick break. Uh, I've got an ant problem, and I'm trying to figure out a way to get them out of the house. So let me go sure. find something. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Thanks. All right, Brian, we're back. Yeah? How did it go? Uh, it was good. I, uh, You know, there's some ant traps uh, that I found at the store, uh, but then I was reading uh, some uh, self, do-it-yourself guides, DIY guides, and apparently you can cut off someone's head and leave it outside on the streets, and all the ants will kind of go towards that. And <laughs> it's kind of a more organic way of uh, trapping ants without all the environmental effects. Sure, man, very natural. Yeah, so I just gotta just got to find that head to cut off. <laughs> so all right man let, let's talk about uh this movie uh, a, a lot happens here but at the same time not a lot happens so uh it's, yeah <laughs> which that's fair yeah <laughs> so I'll, I'll i'll try to i you know I, I think the easiest way to talk about this film is really in, in three parts um and then you know uh let me know where you want to kind of dive in or where you think it's worth calling out more more details on um sure but yeah, this this movie kicks off uh, with the death of the grandmother, and I think the first thing you see is actually like a script, and and the first thing that you see is, is the obituary actually, right? Right. It's a uh, yeah, it's an obituary saying, um, uh, you know this this woman died and she's left behind by you know this family of four, uh, which are going to be the four main characters that we're gonna uh, be working with, uh, or that we're gonna be spending the rest of the movie with. Um, and the, the the first uh, scene is kind of like them at the funeral, or actually getting ready for the funeral, and then they, they, they go to the funeral, and it's a husband, Steve, the woman who died, her her daughter, Annie, who's Tony Collette and becomes the main character, uh, and then she has two kids, a son named Peter, and a very kind of creepy daughter uh, who's 13 years old named Charlie, um, and so, the, you know, they go to the funeral, there's a eulogy there, Um they kind of mention here like how secretive the mother lived uh, her life uh, because the the her daughter doesn't really recognize anyone who's there. And I kind of just, I didn't really know what to make of it at that time. Uh, I, I, I don't remember like it being a huge plot point that like she was surrounded by strangers, but I mean, they, they mentioned it. Did you get anything from that scene? I felt it added some ominousness and this woman lived a secretive life. 
and her daughter thought she was kind of secluded, but then there's all these people she's never seen before. So it definitely led you to believe that the mom, the grandmother, had something going on. Yeah. And that these people and her, these people may have also been a bit unusual if they knew her. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's pretty intuitive to look at it that way. I, I just assumed like maybe this daughter was kind of estranged from her uh, her mother and that's why she didn't really know her mother or her mother's friends. But, um, I, yeah, that, that, I, I guess, uh, you know, if, if you know this is a horror movie and stuff, yeah, I, you can kind of suspect that something, there's some foul play going on here. There's some kind of secret going on that she wasn't aware of. So that, that's, that's interesting. Um, not, not much else happens. I mean, they, they come back. And I don't think the family at this point is, like, too distressed. Um, you start to get a sense from uh, the Annie, uh, Tony Klutz character, that you know, her and her mother lived uh, very separate lives. Her, her mother was uh, kind of a. It sounds like had some really like kind of crazy issues where she wanted to like breastfeed her youngest, uh, her youngest granddaughter Charlie, and um, you know she was very. Uh, her, her, Annie's father or her mother's husband had killed himself, I believe, and uh, and the brother had also killed himself. Did I get that right? Or did they both kill themselves? Yeah, they both killed themselves. Okay. Her and, grandpa, well, Tony Collette's father, I think he even starved himself. Oh, yeah, right. The father has starved himself, and the brother, I think, uh, took his own life. Um, they both had mental illness, according to her. Yeah, right. And I, th- I think a lot of it in, the, in this part of the movie, you're just kind of building up that Annie and her mom had a very uh, tense relationship. Uh, maybe her mother had some kind of dementia. There's a scene where Annie like goes to a support group and is just kind of talking about how dominating her mother was and how like weird of a relationship they had and um you just like start to get the sense of like her mother being this uh kind of crazy lady who had like some kind of secret ways about her um there's there's one kind of uh scene that I think is supposed to kind of spook you earlier on where she sees she thinks she sees her mother in the attic while she's putting some stuff away but um that could have just been in uh you know in her head um I'm not sure if that was ever clarified or not if that was actually a ghost or not did what was your opinion of that my opinion was that maybe it was a ghost I don't know it's left open-ended there's a lot in this movie that you kind of have to decide for yourself what was happening yeah um but I thought that was a creepy scene because there wasn't really much camera trickery it was just I think the actual actress that played Tony Collette's mom standing in the room in the dark yeah but it was just the way it was shot and the way she was standing there that made it pretty tense. Yeah, right. Right, yeah, just standing. Like not, not like running at the camera or like popping out from a shadow or anything. It was just she was standing yeah. there. Uh, and, yeah, so, so that was kind of disturbing. But, um, you know, I, I, at this point you don't know. Is this like a ghost movie or is this just someone thinking about their mother? Um, the I, I think a lot of the part, uh, this part of the movie, again, like it's talking about her mother, her and her mother's relationship. It's also introducing you to the rest of the family. I think Charlie is kind of like this. Uh, Charlie, the youngest daughter, is, is kind of an oddball, I guess. I mean, she is pretty quiet. She's sick to herself. She makes this clicking noise a lot, which she was making at the funeral, and, and she makes like by herself sometimes, which I thought became like a pretty cool kind of uh, calling card throughout the movie. Uh, when she For make- sure. Yeah. It. Did yeah, you- it was kind of like the top of her tongue, or her tongue on the roof of her mouth, like, yeah, exactly. Almost like water dropping or something. Yeah, they did a really good job of setting that up. And it kind of becomes like that movie The Grudge. 
Do you remember like when someone would call on the phone? You'd kind of hear that like dry throaty noise, and that became like yeah, I remember it well. My one year old son makes that noise. (laughs) Oh man, that's got to be scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, but yeah, so she's she's kind of an oddball. She's also allergic to peanuts, which we find out at the funeral. we get to learn uh, more about the uh, the middle son, uh, Peter, and he is just kind of your typical teenage son. Um, he always likes like he's, he's always getting high, and um, you know pining after some girl in in his class. So he's 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 pretty normal. And then her husband, uh, Steve, who I sensed from the beginning, those I don't know that it just always felt like there was a distance between those two. Like they never felt like they're on the same page. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, he was a little cold. Like, you could tell he wasn't emotionless and that he cared, but yeah, he just seemed a little cold, at least towards Annie. Yeah, yep. Yeah, there, there was definitely, like, a distance there. Uh, he, he was cold, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, and, and later, maybe, uh, that, that comes into play a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, th- th- I think that's that kind of uh, sums up the, the first part of the movie, is just getting to know the characters. There's some really effective scenes here where, um, you know, you're getting to see Charlie, who I think is, like, kind of the creepy one in, in the beginning uh, because she's, like, cutting off a, a bird's head. Like, she finds a dead bird and cuts off its head at one point. Um, there's some, like, drawings that she makes, which look pretty weird. Um, anything else you want to call out in, in kind of this first part? No, I think that's about it. She's always tinkering with these little creations she's making, like figurines. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Part, part of me felt like at this point kind of just felt like, you know, she's just like a an odd odd little girl. It didn't really feel like there was anything too special about her. Didn't, yeah. Didn't think too, I agree. She was too off the mark or anything. Yeah. Um, just an odd duck. Yeah. Just an <laughs> odd duck. Exactly. All right. So, so. First, first act sets up the characters. We, we, we know who's there. There's some tension coming into it. Um, and then we go into the second act, which happens when uh, Peter is going to a friend's party, you know, a high school party, um, which uh, he's heading out. And the mother is, uh, tells him uh, that to take Charlie with, uh, with him, his, his younger sister. And, you know, he, he doesn't want to, obviously, because you know, he's going to go hang out with... Uh, hang out with his friends and there's a girl at the party that he likes but um his mom is like pretty insistent like you know take charlie charlie doesn't want to go but annie kind of forces uh her to peter to take charlie with him so they go to this party party doesn't look too crazy it looks pretty tame uh for like a high school party um but while peter is doing uh pot with some of uh his friends and and this girl that he likes charlie accidentally eats a piece of chocolate cake and it has nuts in it so she suddenly goes into uh anaphylactic shock is that how you say it i think so (laughs) so she goes into this so she has she kind of uh you know she can't breathe she's she's choking uh so peter who's like high uh you know at at this moment uh does he, he doesn't know what to do so he grabs her throws her into uh the backseat of the car and he like takes off and it was interesting because in this driving scene, you kind of realize how remote of an area they're in. Like this film is shot in Utah. And it's just interesting because they're on like these roads that have like no lights and like out in the middle of nowhere. That This is kind of like the first time in the movie that like struck me. Did, did you see that? 
I kind of got that vibe about their house, too. Their yard was very wooded. It seemed like there was nothing else near it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess part of me thought, like, maybe they're, like, on a mountain and there's, like, a city down the hill or something. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Even their house is, like, a very remote, uh, wooded, kind of in the middle of nowhere place. And it kind of adds to the isolation of the whole family and the situation, uh, this location of the houses. Yeah. So he's, like, flying down this, like, dark road. Uh, Charlie's in the in the back of the car, like trying to breathe, and for, for some reason, I you know I guess she's struggling to breathe, so she sticks her head out the window, and is like trying to uh, you know gasp and like get as much air as po- as possible, and uh, Peter you know sees some kind of animal on the road, and so he swerves the car, and all of a sudden like there's a like a, a light pole or a telephone pole, and Charlie whose head is out the window trying to breathe, her head just like slams into that, and and uh basically like he's he slams the brakes the car stops and at this point like it hits him like kind of what just happened i don't remember if they show charlie's body at this scene or you know exactly like what state she's in uh were were you aware of this brian i feel like they may show the head tumble through the grass from kind of far away so that it's not super gory or graphic but that you can see what happened yeah, I is this like when he looks into the off. is this when he looks into the rearview mirror and like I, I know he, he like thinks he like looks back, but I don't know, is is that where you see like a head rolling? I think that we the viewer see the head rolling. Okay. I don't think he ever looks back. Yeah, if he does, he it's very quick and he's just clearly in shock and like yeah. his hands are shaking on the wheel. Yeah. And, and basically, like, everyone, I think, who's watching this movie, like, this is, like, one of the biggest shocking moments of the movie, just, like, uh, just the way, like, how, like, s- suddenly this happens. Like, the, this is, like, the last thing you expect. And suddenly, like, this girl just got decapitated in the back seat. And that was, I mean, like, the whole uh, theater with that was in, like, just kind of, like, gasped at this part. It was pretty tense. Yeah, it's rough to see someone's daughter get decapitated in a car accident. And yeah. it wasn't, like, a... This doesn't wasn't such an exploitative horror movie that just horrible things happen and you're kind of numb to them because that's the kind of movie it is. Yeah. It's like you feel deeply what's going on with this family and you see this older brother who just is responsible for the death of his younger sister in shock. His yeah. hands are shaking on the wheel. Yeah. I, and so this is a big part of why people are talking about why this movie is so rough because right. it really puts you in the emotional position of people who have horrible things happen. Right. This isn't a supernatural event. It could have happened. Yeah. It does happen to people. You're right. Right. That's just, it feels so uh, real in the way like it was shot in, in in the way like he responds, like he just like, he's, he won't look back. He doesn't want to like kind of acknowledge it, but you can see it like setting in him and just kind of like, he's sitting there for like a few minutes, just like, uh, yeah, it's just such an intense scene. Like the way he's like processing it and he can tell like, he's just like, his mind is just like gone pretty much. Yeah, it's not an enjoyable part of the movie to watch as a viewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not having fun at this point. Yeah, I know. Even just talking about it, like this, this is rough to just remember that part. It's yeah, it was heavy. Uh, and and then yeah, like the following sequence, like he drives home. Uh, you know, gets out of the car. He hasn't like looked back at that seat once because you know in his mind, like he he knows what's happened, but he doesn't want to like acknowledge yeah. it. And the camera mm-hmm. hasn't even really, like, shown it to the full extent. Um, and he just gets home, 
walks up and I'm thinking like, you know, he's going to go like knock on his parents' bedroom door and like be like, oh my God, you know, something's happened. But he doesn't. He just like goes upstairs and like goes to bed and he can like, he like lies down. His eyes are open. He's just like in the shock state and you're right there with him. And this is just such a tough scene to watch. Yeah. And, and then like the, the, when, when the reaction finally comes like the next morning, you know, it's morning time. His lights are, his eyes are still open. You hear the mother and father talking downstairs and uh, she, you hear her like kind of walk out the front door and open the car door and just start like wailing because she sees the body. And this is where like for the first time we see Charlie's head on the side of the road covered in ants, which is pretty graphic and shocking scene, I think. Yeah. And this scene wasn't easy to start with. And then hearing Tony Collette like screaming and wailing yeah about what she's just discovered is really rough yeah right yeah this is some great acting uh the way she was screaming they there's shots of her back in her bedroom like on the floor just like crying um the next few days and weeks are like really hard on her she's sleeping out in in this treehouse that they have that uh Charlie used to sleep in um yeah, you can just see her kind of going through this grief. She's, she's Oh, yeah, one of the things that we forgot to mention here is when this movie opens, you're introduced to Annie, and one of the things that she does is creates these miniature houses, which Brian was referring to earlier. And um, some of these houses, like, you can tell she uses as a way to express, like, her emotions, and it captures, like, some of the tension that she had with her mother by portraying scenes from, like, earlier in their past, um, so, some which, which were pretty shocking, like the one where... Um, her, her mother's like grand, her mother's like breastfeeding her, uh, her granddaughter. Um, and so d- during this, during this like sequence that she's like going through this grief of her daughter dying, uh, she starts to like kind of recreate the scene through miniature houses and you can just tell like she isn't like dealing with this really well and she's just taking it out in all these different ways. Right. She creates a miniature of her daughter's head on the ground with a trail of blood and yeah, the car there and her son behind the wheel. Yeah. It's pretty disturbing. Yeah, and this is just kind of further driving the wedge between her and her husband. Like, her husband, again, is, like, staying kind of cold and distant, but being uh, kind of trying to stay rational and keep the family together. Uh, t- uh, t- Annie, though, is kind of, you know, losing it. Or, you know, she's creating these art scenes. She's starting to get into fights with uh, her son, Peter, and, like, blaming him, obviously. And Peter, who's, like, going through this shock, I mean, he's he's far from normal now. He's, you know, in this kind of... Uh, traumatic states and and he's saying you know it wasn't my fault you know you're the one that made me take her uh, to that party and so there's just like so much tension in the house that that's building up and you can tell these characters are just kind of falling uh, apart uh, with with this grief yep yeah Yeah, they're each falling apart and they're falling apart as a family yeah exactly and then there's like a really tense dinner scene where like they're shouting at each other so that kind of uh, leads us into uh i think the third act which starts to bring them back together so uh joe and uh or sorry uh annie uh earlier on like right after her mother died she once went to the support group and she met uh, a woman named joan who had like said you know anytime you need to talk uh come over and um she runs into joan again and joan tells and she tells joan like yeah you know like my daughter died it's been tough um so at at one point uh, she runs into Joan at like um, at at a grocery store or something, and Joan's like, "Oh, you gotta come over. I found like something great. It's gonna, 
you know, change everything. And she goes to Joan's apartment, and Joan does a seance and is able to bring back uh, her deceased grandson, Joan's Joan's grand uh, grandson, and um, and like have him like write on a chalkboard and move a glass around. And, you know, just some typical seance stuff that you see. I, I'm not sure if this scene was particularly scary or not. What, what, do you think it was supposed to be? I don't think it was supposed to be. I think it was just supposed to be emotionally impactful enough on Annie that she would want to try the same thing herself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Joanne, like, gives gives her a pamphlet. And uh, Annie's, like, obviously got pretty scared by this experience, like, watching, like, a chalkboard, uh, some chalk write something on a chalkboard by itself and some glass move. Uh, by itself so she's she's pretty freaked out by it but Joan gives her like some literature and is like you know if you recite these things uh, you can bring you know your daughter or whoever back and so Annie kind of goes home uh, she has a she I, she has a few like pretty disturbing dreams throughout like one being where she's like telling her son Peter like how she never wanted him and how he was a mistake um, were there some other dream sequences that you recall that are worth mentioning. There was one where she found him dead with a bunch of flies or ants all over his body. Oh, yeah, right. And Peter's seen a bunch of stuff throughout the movie, so he's kind of hallucinating, or we're not really sure if he's hallucinating or actually seeing things. Yeah, right. So there are some scary scenes peppered throughout yeah. in the form of nightmares or hallucinations or ghost sightings. Right. Yeah, m- m- mostly in dreams and stuff. Um, but yeah, th- at this point we're like an hour and a half in, and yet for the most part, the scariest things that we've seen are yeah that ghost at the beginning, obviously the big shocker where this uh, girl lost her head, and then like a, f- a few uh, dream sequences that were pretty disturbing, but nothing like nothing pop out scary or anything at this point, and uh, um, so now Annie's like back at home, and it's like two or three in the morning. She just had a dream. She wakes up from it, and she like wakes up her whole family, and she's like, we all have to do this uh, seance together. I-, I can bring. Uh, Charlie back and both the son and the husband are very skeptical but eventually Peter who's you know young and susceptible he's like finally like yeah you know I'll do the seance with you and so the husband uh, is kind of forced to go along with this and um, they do the seance and this was you know this is kind of where like the the movie starts to pick up some momentum on on the supernatural in the scary part because this original this first seance uh, scene it's kind of effective like you hear like some bumps and things moving uh, you know, uh, some drawings happening. Um, she speaks in a voice that's Charlie, but Charlie's like really confused, like why she's in that room with them. Um, anything else happen that's kind of scary at that point that you remember? I think a glass shatters or something like that that freaks Peter out. Yeah, yeah. So the the whole film is like kind of weirded out here, and uh, Steve has to like Steve the husband like throws some water on Annie just to like get her out of this trance state or this the seance and bring her back, and, and, and he doesn't really remember what has happened. Um, but yeah, so obviously there's something to the seance and, and the literature. So um, so now I, I think at this point, um, is it, Annie starts to kind of figure out that uh, uh, that maybe Joanne somehow is connected uh, with uh, th- her mother, because I, I think she's like looking through some boxes upstairs of her, her her mother's old stuff and going through some pictures, and she realizes this friend that she's made, Joan, who, Joan, who's uh you know taught her how to be uh uh you know t- try, taught her how to communicate with the dead, uh was actually in there and there's some connection there. So 
she's kind of weirded out by this. She goes and tries to find Joan and can't find her. But inside of Joan's apartment, you see that there's like some candles and like something is being set up, obviously. So, um, so now she knows like, uh, like Joan, uh, and her mother were friends. And for some reason, like they have a vested interest, uh, in bringing back a demon whose name is Paimon. Is, is that how you would pronounce it? Yeah. Paimon, Paimon, P-A-I-M-O-N. Yeah. Are you familiar with him? Or his you work? know, Paimon. I'm not. <laughs> I've never met him. Apparently he's the king of hell. I wasn't sure if he was like a, a famous one or not. I don't think he is that famous. Oh, okay. Man, the king of hell and he's not even that famous. That's, that's, that's too bad. He's like a C-list demon. <laughs> I think there are multiple kings in hell in the, oh, in the like, yeah, the belief r- system that Paimon exists in. Yeah, got it. Uh, yeah, hell is kind of a monarchy. It's divided up into a bunch of different kingdoms and territories. So Paimon... Very technical. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole process. It's a whole system of a, a hierarchy there. Uh, so yeah, she, she does some digging into the, these books that her mom has left in the attic, finds out that uh, her mom knew Joan, and they were trying to bring back like a demon named Paimon. And uh, she realizes that... Um, you know, they, uh, that she's been kind of duped this whole time by this woman. Uh, at this point, for some reason, she goes up into the attic. There are a bunch of flies, and she finds that there's, like, a dead body there that's missing a head, I believe. And I think she, at this point she thinks it's her mother and, like, runs downstairs. Um, so that's what's going on at home. At school, Peter is, like, kind of freaking out. Um, you know, he had this, like, the seance the night before, He's and... Uh, and he's like looking in a glass, uh, and he sees his reflection like staring back at him, but making this face. And then, he, like suddenly, he like slams his head into his desk and breaks his nose. It's really freaking everyone out. Um, and he, he also, while he's out at lunch, uh, he sees Joan, who he's never met before, but she's like calling his name and waving to him, which I thought was pretty weird that she would show up at his school. But I guess later we find out why. Yeah, and that was kind of creepy and unsettling in its own way. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we've seen that in a movie before. Like, oh, you know what I think it reminds me of? Um, the Omen, where like... Yep, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Right, where like, uh, was it like the nurse, or not the nurse, but like the nanny was like... Yep. Yeah, uh, screaming to Damien, like in a familiar way. Like she knew that who he was and he was the devil. Um, yeah. At this point, you, you kind of get a sense of for what's going on, right? You know that uh, these women were trying to bring back this uh, this king of hell, this demon, and you realize that Peter is the target because it needs a male, uh, a young a young male, right? Yeah, and some of the literature that Annie was flipping through that she found in her mother's belongings, it said that Payman's ideal host was a male. Yeah, exactly. So the audience now kind of knows what's up. They, P- Peter is the target for this uh, demonic cult. So Peter has this breakdown at school. Her, his dad picks him up, takes him home. Uh, Annie's at home, like, standing outside, and she's just, like, flipping out because she's found this body up in the attic. Um, she, like, uh, Steve is, like, uh, I, I think he's kind of losing it at this point. He's he's realized his wife has been gradually slipping, and after the seance the night before, he's trying to find help for her. But, uh, so he, he's already, you know, we, for the movie starts, they're already kind of cold and distant and more and more, he's like getting worried about his son and the effect that his, uh, wife is starting to have on his son now that she's kind of losing it. 
So he comes home and Annie uh, is telling him that there's a body upstairs. So he goes upstairs, sees the dead body. And earlier on in the film, he gets a call from the, the graveyard where they buried Annie's mother, the grandmother. And they had mentioned that someone had come and like uh, dug up the grave and stolen the body. But he never mentioned that to Annie. But now he goes upstairs, sees that dead body in the attic, and he assumes that Annie has done it. And so he's just lost all faith in Annie and all credibility, and he just thinks, you know, she's lost it. Um, and he's he's just not believing her, and she's begging him uh, to understand, like, what's going on, that this woman, Joanne, that they became friends with is trying to, you know, possess Peter, and they're pray, praying to this god, and she's worried that she brought on this possession and this demon. And he's just not believing it, so... Uh, Annie, like, at this point, Annie wants Steve to, like, throw this, uh, book of drawings into the fire that Charlie had made because she believes that book is possessed or, you know, some kind of tool. Um, but Steve won't humor her. He's like, you know, this, this has to stop. I'm not going to throw this book into the fire. So Annie throws it. And as soon as she throws it into the fire, um, uh, Steve lights on fire and basically, um, is like incinerates at that point. That was spoiled in the preview. Oh, it was? Yeah, you see Annie staring at him engulfed in flames. Ah, oh, man. Bummer. I did, yeah, I was, I, was, I was shocked. I didn't expect that, was, that would happen. Yeah, I didn't think that was coming either because earlier in the movie, she tries to burn it and then she catches on fire her elbow, so then she takes it out of the fire and puts it out. Yeah. And so when she's trying to tell her husband, wait, did I call him Peter? Her husband's name's Steve. Yeah. She's trying to tell him to burn it, and she knows she's going to die when he does it because oh. she caught on fire earlier. Got it. But she's like, you got to do it. Like, I need to die to protect our son, Peter. Oh, And so then she throws it in thinking, all right, I'm going to catch on fire now, and then Steve catches on fire instead. Yeah. Any theories on why he caught on fire? Hmm. No. I. It becomes clear to me... At the end that, not to jump ahead, but everything seems to be planned out and falling into place according to the cult's plans. Yeah. Yep. So I think they somehow wanted him to die. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, part of the movie, it's, it's called Hereditary. So maybe they wanted him out of the picture and they just wanted to stick with the uh, blood relatives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It could be that. So, yeah. Now now the, the dad's dead. Um and this is, I feel like, where this becomes, like, the scariest uh, movie I've seen in a long time. So, uh, <laughs> I think at this part, Annie uh, sees, like, a, a naked figure uh, standing. Is I, I, I don't remember seeing that, but do, did you see a, a figure at this point? I can't remember if she saw it or if Peter saw it later. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, let's roll with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't remember if she saw one or not. But, basically... Uh, you know, they had just come home from school and all this went down, but Peter was like up in his room and in bed. And then, uh, this happened with Annie and her husband downstairs where he caught on fire. And then, and then you see the house from outside and it gets dark very quick, but you also see the house suddenly surrounded by a bunch of naked people, like just kind of standing and, and looking at the house. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, kind of spooky. They showed up to the wrong house for a sex party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they obviously read that. No, it's very creepy, not sexy, naked people. Yeah. I'm, yeah, it's always the, the ones you don't want to see. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the elderly. <laughs> um, so now 
the rest of the movie, I feel like, is on Peter. So he wakes up in his bed. You know, he's just been brought home from school. He was passed out for a while. He wakes up. It's nighttime. House is completely dark. I think he sees a light on on the treehouse outside. But he's now he's just kind of walking around the house, very slow camera and uh, work and, uh, you know, very slow kind of progression of him, like, going room for room looking. Oh, one of the biggest scares here, though, is when he wakes up in his room and he's, like, looking around, um, you see something like, like a person, like, hanging out on the ceiling of his room, like, in the back corner. Did you catch that? Oh, I didn't even see that. I saw... Annie on the ceiling when he went downstairs in the living room. Yeah, she was actually there in the bedroom too, which Oh wow, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, it was like really subtle, like in the corner like you just see like a body in there and you're thinking like what the hell's going on? Why's, who's up there? Why is their body uh, up there? But he doesn't see it. He like gets up, he's like looking around the room, it's pitch, it's dark uh, I think he thinks he sees like a figure sitting in a chair but uh, it's not really there. So he gets up and he starts wandering, and that figure that was in the corner of the screen at the top of the roof, uh, or top of the ceiling, kind of uh, slips out of the room. Uh, so he's like wandering around the house. It's completely dark. He goes downstairs, and um, and I think does does he see his mother when he walks downstairs? He sees his dad's burnt to a crisp body. Right. Yeah. And I think he might notice some of the naked people outside. Yeah, but he also turns around and there's like a naked guy staring at him from the closet. Yeah, a very creepy, smiley, naked guy. Naked yeah. guy. <laughs> naked guy who we also recognize from the funeral earlier. Right. The grandmother's funeral. Yeah. He was giving a really creepy smile to Charlie, yeah, the daughter. Exactly. Um,. I feel like maybe we should go back here. I think what happened, I don't think Annie saw any naked people after her husband's body burned up. Mm-hmm. I think what we saw, or maybe she did, but what we see right before it cuts to Peter waking up in bed is it looks like she becomes possessed by a spirit. She, her body kind of like twitches like something just climbed in. Oh, is that right after the his his body's burned? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah, and then yeah. that explains. Just to inform what's happening now. So Peter's now, Yeah, we're back and he's in the living room. He just found his dad's burnt up body and there's this creepy, creepy, naked man Yeah, staring at him from the, from the dark. Yeah, exactly. And everything's been moving like really slow at this point. And this is the part where like, uh, I think he's he sees the naked guy and he's like staring at this naked guy who's like in the closet, just looking at him with this crazy grin. And I think you see, like, his mother, Annie, who's possessed now, is standing uh, behind him. And suddenly, like, she just runs at him. And he, like, takes off. And it turns into this chase where he, like, runs upstairs. And the mother's, like, right behind him. And he, for some reason, he runs, like, up into the attic. It's one of those old attics where you got to run up these, uh, these you know, ladders that come down. Uh, yeah, you've got to, like, stick a pole up there to pull the stairs down. Yeah, super old school. So he runs into this attic and like shuts the door behind him and now he's up in the attic um, and this is like one of the scary scenes too like he hears like this banging on the door below from uh, her, his mother and it shows her and she's like on the ceiling like slamming her head like really fast onto the uh, onto the onto the ceiling that was like really freaky man. It was a freaky shot and especially because there's definitely been creepy shots and some 
scary imagery through this movie, but mm-hmm. it's been such a slow burn and build and so much tension that when you finally see all this action taking place, yeah, it ends up being a big payoff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they like executed it well, and it is definitely a very scary scene. Exactly. It's like the whole movie has been in slow motion, and suddenly we're at like cut time, and everything's just happening really quick, and and you're just you're not prepared for this. Yep. Um. So yeah. The, the mother's, like, going nuts on and, and hitting the, the, the door downstairs. He, like, looks into the corner, and I think the body now is gone, but there's, like, a bunch of candles. Um, do you remember if the body was still there? Yeah, there are candles around where the body was, and there's a clear mark that there was a body there. Okay, yeah. but And, and I think there's maybe a photo of him there now or, or something. And, um, and then... Uh, yeah, then he hears like kind of a, a hacking noise, and th- th- then an, an, another scary visual. He turns around, and now his mother, who was previously banging her head on the uh, on the attic door, is now like flying like above him in this attic, and she has like something like a rope in her hand, and she's sawing away at her neck like back and forth, uh, with this rope like kind of cutting her head off. So Peter's like losing it; he doesn't know what's going on. And then he looks, uh, th- then he realizes there are all these like naked people in that attic with him and they charge towards him. He jumps out the window and kind of falls. And I think he falls and like dies. I, I couldn't tell if he died. What, 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 what do you think? It seemed like maybe he just got knocked unconscious, but I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're not sure about this. Uh, this part isn't very clear. Uh, but so the, his body's on the ground and you still hear the noise of like her mother, his mother, going away, uh, going with the rope at her neck, and then you suddenly hear like a, yeah. a uh, like a plunk, like as assuming like her head's like fallen off and hit the ground. Yep. So then this light kind of comes and ascends on his body, and I thought like that kind of inferred like you know he had died and now like some other thing is entering his body, because then he wakes up and he walks to the treehouse and he goes in, and in the treehouse there's like. A bunch of like naked uh, cult people but he's not scared anymore like he's not like the freaked out Peter that we were seeing for like the past like half hour and uh, Joan's there and she's like wearing a robe and um, there's some headless bodies there I think his mother is there and the grandmother's there both with their heads off and they're both like headless but in a kneeling position like bowing to yeah this statue that they've created right and they crown this. I think the head of the statue is Charlie's head. Oh no! <laughs> I think that's what I saw in the plot summary, but I didn't grasp that as I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I think you're you're right. Yeah, I'm reading that too. Uh, yeah, they, they. I guess they took the ants off and they brought the head there and crowned it. So they take that crown, they put it on Peter, and uh, it's interesting because they call Peter now. Uh, they refer to him as Peter, or they refer to him now as Charlie and this demon, Paimon, um, and saying that, you know, Paimon, you've now been freed from your female host, which was Charlie, and you're now in this body of Peter's. And so the ending scene is Peter just kind of looking at this uh, group of followers that are kind of kneeling to him and crowned as, like, this new king. And that's, like, where this epic music kind of, you know, rises up and the it's the end of the movie yeah and just explaining it can't do justice to how creepy the attic scene is oh yeah (laughs) 
it's only a few minutes, but man, it was it was definitely one of the creepiest scenes I've ever seen in any horror movie. I know, man. I I don't know. Last time I've like felt this scared at, at like a sequence in a movie, like I, I yeah. I'm in the attic, like starting from Peter waking up and and the dead body in the corner, you know, and then following him down the stairs, and then the whole running scene. Yeah, that that was just intense. And the and and then to cap that with like this crowning and like this like glorious momentum of uh, of music and everything just crazy yeah and peter is just like at the end of his emotional mental rope at this point too like he's just bashed his head into the desk like yeah that was because he was possessed by something but he's also just been plagued by nightmares he's been like crying yep and like wailing through the movie like he's wrecked yeah it's interesting because i i thought like throughout the movie they're setting him up as a side character but eventually he's like the one that like gets the like has has the most like brutal kind of time during this movie like between the grief he gets from his mother uh you know having to cope with all these debts and now like getting <laughs> getting the, possessed and the guilt yeah the guilt right yeah the guilt he's had to carry about his sister that was a, a rough ride for him but at the end that wasn't peter anymore right that was this demon Paymon. yeah he was now possessed by payman slash charlie yeah yeah I just, I'm going to keep calling him Payment and you keep calling him Paymon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Depends which part of the hellish kingdom you're from. I think they'll, in hell, yeah. have different accents. <laughs> we each have different hell dialects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I I don't know, Vane, what, what, what were your thoughts overall? So, overall, this was kind of long. It was two hours and seven minutes. And I felt like there were times where it dragged and there were times where it was interesting and still super well acted, but so unpleasant that I just didn't want to be watching. Yeah. Like throughout the movie, I kind of thought this was going to be about a three for me Mm -hmm. just because it was very well acted and well done, but not always enjoyable to watch. Yeah. But man, by the end of it, it just, the finale was so great to me and it, started veering away from the family drama into more traditional horror, which some people didn't like, but I think was necessary to make it a horror and not make it just, like, so dreary and depressing. Yeah, right. Like, you needed some sort of big finale there. Yeah. Uh, So it totally redeemed itself for me there. Yeah. Um, I saw the director actually cut about an hour of time from this movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was, like, three hours and... (laughs) That hour was like more family drama and character development. Oh my god! Wow, that's that's. And that would have been really tedious. So the movie was a bit tedious at times. Yeah, you know there there was a point uh, I think like an hour and a half into it, um, or yeah, maybe even more, where I, I I just had the feeling like okay, this movie's just gonna be a family and like the conflict that they feel within themselves and their these nightmares that they have, and just like how they're dealing with grief. And I, I even like turned next to the, the person next to me who who hated the movie, and um, and was like, you know, is this even supposed to be a horror film or you know what what is this? It just felt like a family drama for like so much of it. But yeah, I mean that that end thing is is a payoff. I feel like the director cheats though by taking so much time because the he he really maximizes the amount of screen time and uh, he gives to like helping these characters feel the grief and express like their emotions. And he almost like hammers it into you for like an hour and like 45 minutes or two hours, just like how tough it is on them. So that when he does like finally, when you get to this payoff moment, 
you're just like grasping for any kind of momentum or any kind of activity. So I, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you starve someone for so long and then give them like a pack of jello, like they're going to think it's amazing, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely an art to that. Like, how long do you take to do things? How efficient <laughs> do you make a movie? How much extra space do you leave in for dialogue to set the mood? And yeah, I think it's there's definitely an art and a balance to it. And I think he got it right here. Yeah. But maybe barely. Barely, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like another 10 or 15 minutes, we uh, might be giving a very different review. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. It was very much teetering on being too long. Yeah, yeah, it was. Though, at the same time, now, like, having seen the whole thing, I can't think of too many, like, unnecessary moments. Um, do you feel like there were parts that could have been cut out or ways it could have been shortened? I just feel like maybe like one or two nightmare sequences could have been cut. I feel like there was a lot of time around those, even though it would be hard to cut more horror out of it because it's so largely drama. I I don't know. I just am curious. Maybe it wouldn't be better, but part of me thinks I'd be interested to know what this movie is like at an hour and 50 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I could definitely see a different version of this movie. Um, and yeah, I don't know how effective what it does. I I always feel that way though about nightmare scenes. I I've never enjoyed nightmare scenes in movies. They always feel like, oh, it's supposed to be scary, but it's not a real part of the plot. Um, yeah, it's a tough one because every movie has one. But yeah. I feel like in this movie, in a lot of horror movies that deal with grief, the nightmares might be necessary to put yourself in the character's shoes to see what they're really going through. Sure. Yeah. Like what's going through their head. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and this one, I guess, you got a sense of that with Peter's nightmares about, like, seeing his sister, I think, in the room a few times. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Annie had some nightmares where she reveals, like, you know, she she, she didn't love Peter the same way she loved Charlie, etc. So I guess they served a slight purpose. Yeah. I also thought, even though there weren't open horror scenes through a lot of the movie, it was kind of like some of these older horror movies like The Shining or Rosemary's Baby where they just do creepy things throughout. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not overt horror, but it's off-putting. Like, the miniatures and her grieving by putting, you know, some of these horrible events in the form of these miniature scenes. Yeah. It just was off-putting. Exactly, yeah. That's a really cool uh, trick where it's, it's not, like, critical to the plot, but it adds, like, a layer of depth. And... Almost like I feel like the miniature houses. the The opening scene in this one, after the obituary, is actually like it starts with uh, a, a miniature house that it zooms in, and, and then that's like kind of where the movie picks up. But I almost felt like they served as like a metaphor to to the plot or something like um, that. Uh, like maybe we are kind of like that outsider looking in into this like miniature house and like this family living in a house and just kind of what's going on in there because it was such like there was such a big feeling of isolation in this movie like there very little interaction with the outside world it's all kind of contained in almost like a miniature house type of framework room to room things going crazy so i, I wonder if there's yeah, like a parallel the, there yeah i think you nailed it the director said uh like over the course of the movie they're revealed to be like dolls in a dollhouse being manipulated by these outside forces yeah Right, that's for And mm-hmm. we didn't mention this, but there's this symbol 
throughout the movie that seems to be the symbol of payment by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And you see it like on the wall above the grandmother's body in the attic. You see it on the wall in Charlie's room, maybe. And one place you see it is on that telephone pole earlier in the movie. I don't know if they're driving back from something or to something and you see that telephone pole and you see that it's got the symbol on it. And so that shows that the cult had something to do somehow with Charlie being decapitated by that pole. Like it was all part of a plan. Yeah. That's one thing I was surprised to read up on because I had the feeling like the, you know, that just kind of happened, but um, you're right, like, if they were trying to lead to this outcome and get Peter to fall into this grief and lead them to be susceptible, uh, they, they must have orchestrated it, and, and yeah, I guess that, that being on there. But how would they orchestrate that? People have said that animal that uh, Peter sees on the road wasn't there when he looks back in the mirror. Um, do, you, do you remember that? Like, when he, when he looked in the mirror, do you, do you remember seeing the animal back there? I don't remember that, but I can see that being true. Yeah. I mean, that, that's... That's that's stuff to orchestrate as a cult. Like <laughs> Charlie's gonna go to this party. We all know how hard it is to organize things as a cult. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's one thing cults aren't known for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like they they would have. There must have been some super. I, I guess there. Yeah, one one way of looking at that is some supernatural effect was in the play that led Charlie to that party where she ate the brownie that's gonna choke her, and then they're gonna be on that road at night, and some dead animal is gonna be there. Um, Right, and maybe Annie was somehow manipulated unknowingly to tell him to bring Charlie, who's 13, to this high school party where she pretty much admitted she knew there'd probably be drinking there. Yeah, right, exactly. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, I had had a lot of mixed feelings on her parenting there and, like, telling him to take her with with him. Um, One fun fact I found that I have no idea if this has any bearing on the movie, but... I saw somewhere where an occultist suggests that the name Payman purportedly meant a tinkling sound in some old unspecified language. Uh, a tinkling sound? Is that what you said? Yeah. And then I got to wondering if maybe that had anything to do with the fact that Charlie was constantly making that noise. That Oh, that clicking noise? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably not, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting coincidence. Um, I loved the way they used that clicking noise throughout the movie. Um, like it wasn't like overdone, but maybe you heard it like three or four more times after Charlie died where like Peter would like just hear like a random click uh, or that noise. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was, that was a good use of, of stuff there. Um, the camera work I thought it was pretty stellar in this. It, it was just very slow, uh, and uh, even, like, the way the characters moving were, were just, like, very slow. And uh, I, th- I think that was a lot of, like, building the the tenseness around the situation. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of close-up on Tony Collette's face, which was extremely expressive. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one thing I was reading, um, and, and it, it made a lot of sense, was in a lot of scary movies, when someone is, like, uh, see something scary, like, the camera cuts to that. But in this one, a lot of the times, like, you, they would see something scary, but, like, the camera stays on their face and just, like, their expression as, like, they're seeing that horror. Yeah. And I feel like that's a throwback to older movies. Oh, yeah. Like, a not a deliberate throwback, but this is why this movie is compared to, like, Rosemary's Baby and Exorcist. It's mm-hmm. 
a lot of it's not relying on like the cheapness and the effects. Yeah. The tricks of modern horror movies. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Like even for how scary the end was, I wouldn't say too much of it was like any kind of um tool that we're used to or like any any kind of uh like common thing like a pop out or like a loud noise or something. It was just like really disturbing scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Those those stay with you, man. Oh yeah, it definitely stayed with me. This is definitely one where I was scared after it was over. Yeah, this one made me question our Which whole, is... our whole, our whole love of horror movies. Dude, this one, yeah, I think my next pick is gonna be something, <laughs> either really old and cheesy or a little bit lighter. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I I need a little bit of break. We've seen a lot with like loss of a child as a theme too, which yeah, starting to wear on me. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's never a, a great subject. Um, yeah, that's that's a heavy one. And it, yeah, I, I remember like after seeing this one, just I, I just and it, I, even with a, a quiet place, which which was a different type of scare, but a quiet place like the whole movie is very quiet, and I feel like at the end of the movie, you realize like you haven't even like been breathing like properly for like the last two hours, you've been holding your breath. And this one, I felt like the same way, but it, it was a very different type of uh, scare than a quiet place. It, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it was like a clenching in your gut the whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, oh no, how much worse can this get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, on a scale of uh, zero to five decapitated 13-year-old heads. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're getting, you're, as, after you finish saying how dark these all are, <laughs> you go with that, and I think w- w- in the void you said bloody baby booties zero to five bloody baby booties oh yeah uh man part of the problem i know okay just making it worse so zero to five i would say four Ooh. okay there this is definitely like one of the scariest modern movies out there like it's one of the scary movies i've seen in a long time Mm -hmm. but there definitely were chunks of the movie where i was a little bit bored or just ready for something else. Yeah. So it, it's hard for me to like have the ending fix everything. Yeah. Um, and not that anything was bad or poorly done. It was an expertly done movie, but yeah, I just didn't enjoy some of my time in there. Yeah. And obviously it's a hard movie to watch. So it's, I guess that's part of why it's hard for me to give it a five. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely like, I, I don't know if I could ever even watch this one again. Uh, I might need like a yeah. Piece. I thought that throughout a good chunk of the movie, I was like, I will never watch this again. Yeah, and you know we've talked about like how what makes a good horror movie, and I feel like some of the best ones like there's always an element of like it being fun, and this yeah. I think had zero of that. No, not I feel like the ending was a little bit fun just because it was so scary. <laughs> yeah, like I think you kind of needed that relief at the end. Like, yeah, here's some like some payout and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I came in... But I agree with you. There was no levity to this movie. No. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that was missing here. Uh, I I want to give this one a five, man. I mean, this, I, I think, is, like, one of the defining movies of, like, our our time and this decade and this era of horror movies we're in where uh, I, I agree it's a very heavy uh, beginning that, you know, is very hard and difficult to watch and it's it's heavy and slow and really kind of uh, a drag to watch but then like it counters it with like this 20 minute or 30 minute like payout at the end 
and like this glorious like finale that I don't know I just left like kind of with my mind blown on it but if if I had to think back to like like halfway through this I would have given it like a two um but uh yeah towards the end I just felt like it was kind of a masterpiece so yeah it was it was tough I can't disagree yeah it was it was tough uh and and not very um enjoyable to watch definitely but I, I think from a work of art and as a scary film, and even though it's missing that levity and you know fun, which kind of you know really brings these movies to life, I think I think I'd give this one like a five out of five, man. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I hear you there. But yeah, let's seriously not like do movies like that for a while again. <laughs> let's yeah, let's let's take a, a breather on these <laughs> rough ones. Yeah, maybe start like another podcast on. Um, on like a comedy series or something. I hear that new season of Arrested Development is pretty bad. Maybe we can <laughs> <laughs> We can do that. Yeah. Maybe I'll try to pick like one that's too old to be scary <laughs> or something that's like a horror comedy yeah, for yeah. the next one. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen a good one there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, this is, this has been a good, uh, fun, fun to review this one. Not, not so much fun to watch it, but fun to talk about. Um, anything else? Yeah. That's all I got. All right. Great. Well, that's all for this episode. Uh, listeners, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today about Hereditary. Um, if you want to join this discussion, we encourage you to follow Horror Movie Club podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. We're at Horror Movie Pod on Twitter. Or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. And be sure to check Facebook or Twitter for next week's movie in case you want to watch it before the next episode. Uh, our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. Until next time, um, if you're trying to get into the attic and you can't, uh, you know, find the string or something, um, don't try banging your head on it multiple times because usually that doesn't work. Uh, maybe ask a friend or find like a pole to like pull the, the string down or something rather than bashing your head on it for minutes just to avoid some brain damage. Okay, man, that wasn't so bad. I have my gut clenched for what you're going to say. <laughs>